This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Stay standing. We're going to read while they're walking out. Stay standing. Ephesians, stay standing. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the devil, the devil, for you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in this heavenly, in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as, and as shoes for the feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, you can, which can extinguish, extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Um, man, me and Pastor Aaron have been praying through it, right? So um, this will probably go a little bit longer because Aaron talks for a long time, right? You know, but, man, we, we're going to get into this, right? I'm excited to, 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 to get here to this section of Scripture. Like, one of the things that I love being able to do um, with my brother is take the time to walk through books in the Bible, right? I love being able to do that, to, to walk through them, because um, we have an opportunity to engage and teach on the themes and topics that are presented in Scripture as we're as we're going through, right? And it's like it's like walking through a forest and slowing down to appreciate the beauty of each tree along the way. Yeah. Now, the challenge here is is showing the beauty of the trees in the forest without losing sight of the forest itself, right? right? right. Here's the challenge here because like. The forest gives context to the to the trees, right? Like only certain kinds of trees will grow in rainforests and, and things like that. So while we've been walking through Ephesians, we've covered so many things. And if the various topics that we've been engaging along the way have been like trees in the forest, yeah. now... Paul starts bringing this letter to a close, right? We're in chapter 6, and we're on the latter part of it. And he starts bringing this letter um, to an end, and he starts talking about spiritual warfare, reminding us of the forest, Yes. right? Here's the thing I want to say first. The entire book of Ephesians is about spiritual warfare. That's what we've been talking about since January, right? As we've been walking through this thing, sometimes it's often easy to, to miss this reality when we don't look at the beautiful trees in, 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 in Ephesians in context to the forest of spiritual warfare that is the book of Ephesians, right? But when you take that whole thing and put it in context, that's what you get here. 
There's this quote from Timothy Gombus, who wrote the drama of Ephesians, and it says this, Ephesians has often been read as a wandering discussion of various theological themes and doctrinal, doctrinal matters that can be utilized to construct abstract theologies of the church and its relationship to Christ. But Ephesians has a tightly woven narrative structure that is driven by the pattern of divine warfare. This is the reality of it, right? This is what we've been looking at this whole time. It's in Ephesians, you see war. You see war. There's a, a clashing of powers when the people of God are called to merely just live into the realities of the kingdom of God. See, a lot of times we can just, um, when we think about spiritual warfare, you want to think about, man, I want to cap the devil inside of his chin. And, you know, you think about all these one-on-one these, these -on -one skirmishes, and, and you, you miss, like, I want to cast this demon out, that demon out, and miss, like, there's a grander narrative of demonic warfare that's, that's, that's happening that Paul is, is, is diving into and just merely living into the kingdom of God draws you into it. Merely living into it, right? Like, like the kingdom of God. Like though we are diverse in the flesh, we are one in Christ, right? Intentionally living into that unity, that's warfare, right? right, right. Sometimes we don't understand all the, the, the mundane things of living into this. That's warfare. Um, living into the realities of this new self, everything is going to be fighting against it. That's warfare, right? You, you know that new man that's inside of you, and God is saying walk into it. That's warfare, right? Speaking the truth of the gospel with our neighbors, Instead of the false reality, speaking the truth of the gospel, to live with our neighbors in the language of the gospel is warfare, right? I'm just going with the thing that we've covered along the way that sometimes people take out of the context of what the whole book is about. Hallelujah. We work hard so we have more to share with others, not just to, to hoard up. But everything is in culture telling you get more so you can stack up more for yourself. But to live generously is warfare. Everything is telling you not to do that. We, we, we share words with one another to build up and edify each other, not depending on the situation, but to keep doing that. When cats is getting on your nerves, that's warfare. Man, we got to know this. We're satisfied. We're satisfied in God. Thus we are thankful in a world that is unsatisfied, always needing more, and find themselves just, just coveting, 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 but to be satisfied with him. To check that heart is warfare. This is what we're, we're drawn into. We talked about submitting one to another. Whether it's husbands and wives, parents and children, employer, employee, all submitted together in this covenant relationship with God. And to, 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 to not live in how culture tells you to live, but instead how covenant tells you to live. It's warfare. When you live into the realities of this kingdom, you just become engaged in spiritual warfare. It's, it's already started. It's already started. Church, I, I hope you're grabbing this because the reality is many of us are still living under this idea of what 
spiritual warfare is. We've been talking this whole time that it's really difficult for us to really grab a hold of some of the things of Scripture because in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, in this covenant reality, the language is different. So because we hear this language and they say words like submission or they say words like humility or they say things like warfare, this is another example, what our minds go to and what our thoughts go to are the things that we've been shaped by and the things that are the way we see warfare. But what we've been seeing is, is that we don't fit. When we enter into the kingdom, we don't fit in the kingdoms of this world. Because it's a different language. It's a different direction. Instead of trying to climb the ladder, it's entering in. It's coming down into. It's, it's the shape and the direction of the gospel. It's the language of the kingdom. And so it's kind of like we're coming into this new place. And, and, and I've had people ask me, or, or maybe some of you have thought about, what is so offensive about the gospel? What's so offensive about Maybe the gospel that we preach, maybe some of the answer is we've shrunk the gospel to be more palatable. Because we think it's all about just personal forgiveness and uh, love and uh, reconciliation and, and prosperity and blessing. And all of these things are things that you see as themes in scripture. But why is that so disruptive? Have you ever thought about what was so disruptive about Jesus coming into the world? He came as a baby. And from the earliest times of Jesus entering into the world, there was a plot to kill him. Political powers had heard about a king who was coming. And so those political powers heard of this prophetic reality. And when they heard this king was coming as a baby, they wanted to kill him from the earliest time. A baby. Realizing that our enemy does not treat children differently. There's no partiality. Our enemy will kill anybody. Political powers are threatened by the coming of this new king. And then later on in Jesus' life, you see religious powers threatened by his pronouncement of the gospel. He's calling people, he's living different. It's, you see religious powers who are going, no. And, and there's this war between those religious powers. He didn't fit into the Pharisees or the Sadducees. And there's religious powers that are coming. You see economic powers, you see social powers. All of these types of powers and Jesus enters into this world and he's showing this different kind of power and all the powers of this world are coming against it. You're like, what's so offensive about healing people and, and helping people and feeding the hungry? What is so offensive about that? And the reality is, is that at the end of his life, not one of those powers could ever destroy him, and, and, and God continues to protect him. And all of those powers, political powers and, and, and satanic powers, right? And you see even Satan coming and tempting him, and, and, and you see all these kinds of wars and powers and all this kind of thing that's taking place, and all of these economic and social powers, they all joined up at the end to try to kill him. 
They're like, listen, they hated each other. All the powers of this world hate each other. But when they see this new power, they're like, we all got to team up, right? They became like the Avengers of demonic powers, right? And Jesus humbled himself and died the death we could have died, we should have died, paid the price for our sins, and he shows us what the kingdom of God has is a different kind of power than all the powers of the world. It's resurrection power. And it died at the hands of all these powers, knowing that it wasn't even death. The power of death could not destroy him. Because what Christ has, the power of Christ is so disruptive. The power of the gospel is so disruptive to the world that even when he is sending his disciples, he has a good sit down with them. Listen, I'm going to give you the spirit. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to take you to places. But listen, it's like sheep going out amongst wolves. You're going to try to go out there and be cute and cuddly. And everybody's going to want to eat you. Everything's coming against you. There was not a paradigm in the disciples' lives. They hadn't been discipled in that way, and Jesus didn't promise them that they would. He's going, look, if you're going to have this kingdom reality, and if kingdom of God is going to come into the kingdoms of this world, everything, all powers and principalities and rulers and authorities and systems and structures, they're all going to try to conform you or destroy you. And here we think in American Christianity that that shouldn't be the reality of the Christian life. And we find ourselves in a place where we're confronted with, we've been talking about this and I'm going to do this quick, but we talked about how the shape of the kingdom is way different. It's the shape of the kingdoms of this world are triangular. They're strong at the top and weak at the bottom and they're constantly oppressing those at the bottom while those at the bottom are trying to fight their way up. The shape of the kingdom is circular. It's covenantal. There's no top. There's no bottom. There's this reality of unity and oneness and, and all things being brought together. And what the gospel does is we think this kingdom, God's going to come and he's going to crush the triangle. Instead, he comes as a little bitty seed, a circle amongst the triangle. Continuing the pattern in which he did in creation where amongst the chaos he creates space to do creation. He sends a people amongst the, the nations of the world and those people amongst the chaos become a light to the world. He comes as a, he comes in flesh as a seed. He says the kingdom of God is like a seed. All of us, if we're honest, don't want to go to battle with a seed. Give me a rock maybe. But the reality is the church is this. We are this kingdom people amongst the kingdoms of this world. And if this is true, can I, can I just ask you a simple question? Why are we so surprised when we don't fit anywhere? We don't fit in, in either republic, Republican or Democrat. We don't fit with all the religious powers. We don't fit with all the social or economic powers. We don't, we don't fit anywhere. And matter of fact, we become a threat in a lot of those places. But God puts us amongst those powers in the world to be a display people. That's why merely being the people of God 
is spiritual warfare. You see, church, we are sent by God into this world, right? As a people amongst the powers of this world who would seek to oppress us, but we can't be oppressed. We can be pressed, but we can't be crushed. We could be persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We could be struck down, but we're not destroyed. Like, like you could try to oppress us, but you can't. And then there's the, there's the powers below who would say, rise up, fight the powers. And we're not strong enough for them because we're just like, no, we, we already, we, we, we don't do that either. <laughs> we're not grasping for equality. We're already image bearers. It, it, so we don't fit anywhere. We don't fit in the places and the things. And, and, and we become this display people among workplaces, in families, in, in, in cultures. In we become this display people that God has put amongst. And, and, and here's what we have to, to see. Uh, the powers of the kingdoms of this world hate us. I mean, I think, like, even, like, if you fit too well into one of these things, then that's a problem, right? Yeah. And stuff is like, man, I fit perfectly. Yeah. It's like, ugh. <laughs> but what Paul is doing here, right? What Paul is doing here, and, and, and we want to go through these, like, these, these tips, right? Like, this is what you see here. And, and, and he's prepping the people for what warfare looks like. And warfare tip number one, if you want to be in the battle, open your eyes. Open like you just can't go in. Your eyes blind. It's just just swinging. You get knocked out. <laughs> no, so he wants to open your eyes to the reality of what's actually going on here, right? You see, if you don't have a, a strong theology regarding Satan and demonic warfare, what you start doing is demonizing people. That's what you'll end up doing. Uh, you'll start dehumanizing them. You'll stop looking at them as image bearers and start attaching demonic character traits to them. And, and, and what you'll end up finding yourself doing is you'll be waging war on the wrong battlefield against the wrong opponent. So what Paul does is like, let me open your eyes so that you see where it, what's really going on here. So in 12, he's like, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Strong opponent. I need to tell you that. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, in the, the, the spiritual realm, right? And, and this whole time, he's been spending time outlining the cultural systems these rulers and authorities have has set in motion. And in chapter 2, he calls it the course of this world, right? Here's what they've set in motion. Here's what you, you find yourself being born into, the course of this world. And he wants to open our eyes to, to that reality so that you see what's really going on here. He wants, to, he wants to tell the fish what water really is. He, he, like, I know you've been swimming in this thing your whole life, but let me hip you to the reality of its presence. Come on. Systems that impact people set up by, by demonic rulers, demonic oppression and warfare happening in these heavenly places, these spiritual realms that is cosmic in its scope. 
manifesting in the physical on multiple levels. On multiple levels, like on a private level, like where, where publicly you look good, that you got it all together. disconnected from others and people are, are, are hurting and the enemy is attacking that way on an individual level where, where things are specified to you when you even start buying into the lies of culture about, 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 about this individualistic reality and all you're thinking about is you and you're processing just you all the time and then you have this truncated gospel that's just individualistic in its application. There's even social issues where there is systems, systemic structures that are impacting social realities, social chaos and confusion, groups against groups, and everything is polarized. All these things, you see it happening on all these levels, and there's these demonic forces that are ruling over this present darkness. Like we see it, this present darkness, it, it applies to us, it's not past darkness. In this individualistic culture, suicide culture, school shooting culture, polarizing sides culture. This is the present darkness that Paul is exposing the reality of to these Ephesians. And you see him talking about it all the way through. In chapter 1, he talks about these rulers and authorities. In chapter 3, he then says, man, this church that is unified with, with Christ, right? And then he talks about Christ being above these rulers and authorities and everything else and stuff, right? And the church, which is unified with Christ, would now be used to make known to who? These rulers and authorities, the manifold wisdom of God and here we are in chapter 6 and again he's bringing up the topic of these rulers and these authorities and cosmic powers and stuff and he's doing all of this to help them to understand what's really going on so you see the systems on top of systems he opening their eyes to this reality in 2nd Corinthians 2 11 to 12 he says to them he says so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his schemes. He's like, yo, let me, let me hit you the game what's really happening here. So that you know what's going on. And he doesn't just open their eyes to the demonic oppression of the enemy, but the victorious realities of the kingdom that they're called to live into. And this is what you see happening in all this stuff. And warfare started already. Church, I, I think we should listen to this because... God is not opening our eyes to scare us. So if you're going to be seeing all the systems of sin and oppression and all the things that are happening in this world, not only better you see all of those things, but you'll only be able to see it in the light of who Christ is. In the light of the true power of the kingdom of God. Because there's many of us who say, you know, we're woke to all that's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it leads us to fear. Right. It leads us to believing that they have true power. Right. Or it leads us to, to want to go back to darkness because there's a lot of Christians who are like, no, nah, no, nah, there's not real oppression. There's not real division. There's not real things. This is all fake. Their people are making it up. They just want my money, right? 
And the reality is they don't see all the things that the enemy is up to and the powers and the rulers and authority. And deep down inside, what we have to believe if we're going to open our eyes is we need to see how powerful our God is. He didn't give us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. And so if we're going to step into this reality, we've got to stop the self-protection and safety as our top priority. This is a tough one for us, church. And here's, here's the thing. What happens when God sends his people into the world and he sends, he sends this, this contrast community, this, this seed into the soil of the world, he knows that there's so much power and so much in, inside of it. He calls us to be this light and, and he calls us to, to live in this world, but, but not, to, you know, not to be of it, but then to, to, to serve it, to love it, all these kinds of things. But there, there's, there's this danger. There's a lot of people who uh, have started using these ideas of like, man, well, what we need to do is kind of come in and be relevant. We need to come in and just kind of sync up with the powers of this world. We kind of need to get kind of snuggled up with our political parties. We kind of need to, you know, and what ends up happening is instead of us being salt and light, we end up being colonized. I'm telling you that many of us in the American church have been colonized. Instead of being a light, we can't even tell the difference between our politics and our Christianity. We can't even tell the difference between our desire for money and power, and we spiritualize it. We We can't tell the difference because we've been formed into the image of this world, and a lot of it has to do with our desire for safety and comfort. Church, church, I hope you hear this. I I think you should meditate on Matthew 10, where Jesus is is sending his disciples into the world, and and he just tried to warn them, listen, I'm sending you out, and it's going to be crazy. Just get ready. Not to scare them, but to open their eyes. Now, I hope what you don't hear is me saying, listen, go out, do reckless, stupid things, and be purposely unsafe. That's called foolishness, not wisdom. But in some people's attempt to go out and just take back what the devil stole from them, they go into the devil's camp and take back what's been stole from them. And the reason why they do that is because they got to go demon hunting because they're not living in the realities of the kingdom. Because if you're just living in the realities of the kingdom, you don't have to hunt no demons. They're coming after you. The reason you got to go into the devil's camp is because he doesn't want nothing from your camp, right? You're not living into a reconciled life. You're in disunity with the church. You're constantly oppressing those who are marginalized. You're elevating yourself up the totem pole. You're, you're greedy. You're arrogant. You're wondering, I got I to gotta go out and wreak some havoc. Listen, Jesus was not a devil hunter. Wherever he went in the light, of, he was disrupting powers and demonic forces were coming after him. The church was the same way. They weren't trying to be 
They were just being and living into the realities of the kingdom, knowing that those things were going to come after them. And the realities of this is when we seek self-protection, we'll do a couple of things. What we will do is avoid danger rather than living into it. And, and here's where churches start to fall apart. And, and we've been talking about this all day. Why is it easier to go to a church where we're all the same color? Because it's more comfortable. Why is it easier to go to the church where we're all the same age? Because it's more comfortable. Why is it easier to go to a church where, where we have all the same political views? Because it's more comfortable. And we believe that the kingdom of God is, is supposed to be comfortable and safe for us. But what he's saying is when we enter into these places and we're living out the realities of the kingdom and we're not erecting walls that God has tore down. All walls of hostility have been tore down. Male, female, all nations, all tribes, living as this one new man. All of those walls of hostility have been tore down. And, and, and just like the nation we live in, we're just building walls. Church, for our safety and protection is why we're doing that. But we're working against the work of Christ because what Christ has done is tore those walls down. And we need to be living into the realities of the kingdom. Now, he talks to them about living into these realities, right? And he sets all these things up, and he's just making it clear. This is what's going to happen. But he gets to this point, and he said, like, finally, be strong, right? Be strong, but be strong in the Lord, right? He, said, he doesn't say, finally, let me go to the gym, work out so that you can be super strong by your own strength. But be strong in the Lord. Now, this is, this is important, man, because this is highly positional. Where do you find yourself at? Hidden inside of him. This is where I'm at. And he is my strength. And everything that he's telling you to do is counter how culture tells you that you should fight. Instead of saying, all right, pack on your guns and do all of this and do all of that. He said, he said when, when the enemy goes like this, you go like this. You drop on your knees and you pray because your strength is in the Lord. Your hope is in the Lord. The reality that he is in control and he's taken you and merged you into him. So when I, when I go to war and when I say war, I live into these kingdom realities. The strength that I have to actually live into it is in him. Because every single thing is going to fight against it. Everything. But, but this strength that's in him, in the Lord, in Colossians 3, 1 through 3, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Remember, we are merged with Christ and he has been raised above the rulers and authorities and everything else. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of this earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's why when people try to find a Peace, safety, their answers in other earthly things. They're constantly disappointed. Their political systems fail them. Their spouses fail them. Your friends and everything else that you feel that you so easily sync up with fail them. He says, no, 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 no. Don't seek the things above. This is where it's at. And you find your strength 
in me, not you trying to find your strength in yourself. And the moment you start thinking, I could just think my way through this and muscle my way through it, the moment you continue to merge in with the systems of this world and it's, it's the fight, you're not, there's no need to fight. The other thing, not only do we try to use our own strength, we try to use the enemy's tactics, armors, and weapons to fight against him. We, we use our own strength and we use worldly weapons. And the reality is Paul's saying, no, listen, don't fight in your own strength. And here's the armor and here's the, the weapons that have been given to you. These weapons are different than the weapons of this world. Uh, the reality of how many of us are using our own power mm -hmm. and our own weapons reminds me of Saul trying to put armor on David. He said, hey, no, put this armor on. It's stronger. It's more resilient. And David's like, nah, just give me a little few stones and a slingshot, right? And his armor, the weapons of the kingdom looked way different than the kingdoms of this world. And so it's, it, it, the church is walking around with Saul's armor on rather than the armor of God. They're using the armor and the weapons that look powerful and look strong and look resilient. And what they're missing is, is that the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. Because what David did when he was using that, that sling, right, is he knew he didn't have enough armor to take this giant down. He needed the strength and the power and the direction of the Lord. And unless he took that rock and took that giant down, unless God fought that battle for him, it wasn't going to take place. Church, we must not get into these patterns where we're trying to do what even Jesus really did. You remember when Jesus was accused of, of using demonic powers to cast out demons? And he's like... Doesn't even make sense. So you can't, no kingdom divided against itself can stand, right? Satan doesn't cast out Satan. That, that doesn't work that way. This reality of us trying to use satanic devices and schemes and powers to go against satanic forces and systems is unimaginable in the kingdom. We've got to see that the weapons that we have may look mm -hmm. weak, mm -hmm. but they're mighty. They're mighty to take down strongholds and power. They may just look like a family that's in love and unity and a husband and wife who's submitted to each other. It may just look like a, a children who are obeying their parents. It may just look like a healthy family, but it's that seed within that seed. of this. It may just look like a church of all peoples loving with one another, caring, forgiving each other. Walk. It may just look like a small, insignificant thing, but God loves to take those things and show what the kingdom of God looks like and show that this is where my love and my might and my power. It may look not like fighting for power, but there's a reason we don't fight for power. He tells them, do all these things in the midst of talking to them about the armor and talking. All this, he gives them a battle strategy. 
this, this, this really, really creative battle strategy, stand. Stand. Like, I, stand. And there's a real specific reason why the battle strategy is stand. It's a real specific reason. Everything is going to be coming at you. The current is going to be blowing you the other, other direction. And all these things are going, going to be going. And, and here we go. But stand. Plant your feet firmly and stand. Uh, and there's a real reason why he, he's doing that. And, and, and it, you, think, you start thinking about these examples of standing. And we've been talking about Jesus raised up above, seated at the right hand of God. Uh, but when we hear another description of Jesus at the right hand of God, there's another account where he's standing. And that's when, 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 when Stephen was standing up to the systems. And, and the systems was doing what systems do and attacking him. And Stephen is standing. And as he looks, he sees Jesus standing. And then, and then God calls us to stand with them and with the rest of the disciples against all the systems of this world. you standing not by yourself, but with your Lord and your God in the midst of everything that's going down. And all you have to do is continue to stand. That's the, that's the biggest fight that's going on because you're waiting for the dust to settle. There's something that we start to see when the dust settles, right? Hallelujah. Bless your name, Lord. You're waiting for everything to clear. And as everything clears, you see this reality that we, was, we were singing about. This is the strategy. Stand inside of him. People told me for a long time that the spiritual warfare strategy was advance the kingdom. But when you're living into the realities of the kingdom... And all the attacks of the enemy is trying to destroy the works of the kingdom of God where light is shining and they're trying to put it out. And we're living into this reality of reconciled life. And, and I'm going to tell you this. I've had many talks with people about, man, how has this political environment that we live in, this polarizing world we live in, how has it affected our community made of, of all nations, all tribes, all tongues? I'm going to tell you. It's affected us greatly because if anybody's been feeling the battle, it's been you all in here. It's become harder and harder to live into unity. It's become harder and harder to live as a family of God, children and parents and husbands and wife. It's become harder and harder. And he's just going, look, it's not about going out and trying to do that. It's not about this. It's about standing firm in the things that God has given to you because I'm telling you, they are mighty and powerful. I want you to think about this as we come to communion together. We have a secret that gives us the power to stand. We don't need to fight for power because we have power. True resurrection power. We're in a fixed fight. The battle is already won. The battle is already won. Christ has done the work, and when we are panicking, trying to gain back power and grasping for the power we think we have and the powers of this world, the reality is we're not trusting in and resting in and standing on 
all that Christ has done and has accomplished. Church, keep standing. The enemy will come in like a flood. He'll come in like a flood. But the Lord has raised up a standard against him. There is no weapon that's been formed against us that shall prosper. I'm not over there fashioning new weapons. I'm just standing on all that Christ has done. The enemy's trying to come up with another weapon, right? All that Christ has done. And I want you to think about this as we come to the table. There's only one place, the beginning of Scripture, that we see this perfect covenant reality when God created all things. It's called it shalom. And there will be a day where that happens again. And we're living in between that. And what ends up happening is because of sin, all that Christ made one was separated. But have you ever thought about what, how sin came into the world? There was one tree and one man. There was a tree in a garden amongst all of Shalom. He said, don't touch that. One tree and then one man who, who grasped for equality with God and bit of the fruit and tasted of it. And the whole world was corrupted with sin. One tree, one man. And now we're living in a world that is fully fashioned and shaped by sin. And God shows us the answer to his kingdom coming in is one tree and one man. It's cross. He didn't come like they thought he should come, riding in, crushing the powers of the world. He came as one man, and through one man, just like sin entered the world through one man, grace, the kingdom, the gospel. And so when we come to the table, we're not grasping for what is pleasing to the eye and desirable for life. What we're grasping for is the true fruit of the tree that tastes so sweet and so good. It's the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we grab, we reach to this table, and we drink deeply. And I want you to think of it this way. Some of you are tired. And he goes, after you've done all to stand, Keep standing. Some of you are tired. You've been feeling the attacks of the enemy. You've been feeling the pressures of the systems of this world. You felt oppressed. You felt downcast. You felt oppressed, but you're not crushed. You felt persecuted. You're not, you felt all the weight, and you're trying to live into this thing. And here's where you go. Keep on standing, and you've got to come like, a, like, like, like one who is starving for the true food that keeps you, that holds you. You come to this table ready to drink of the place where you know true life is. True life. True life. True strength. True power. True hope. It's all in this man, Jesus. It's all in fellowship with him, in Christ and him in us. And church, as we come to this table, I pray that we take time to pray, commune with him, we'll sing, and we're going to linger for a little bit. So if you leave because you got to get out at 1230, go for it. But those who are weary and heavy laden, come to him, and he will give you rest. Let's come to the table and fellowship together.
This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.